Hello, my name is Pauline Blanc, and this is Developing Carbon Stories, a podcast about product developers developing the most innovative and impactful carbon projects around the world. Developing Carbon Stories is a project by Abatable, a carbon procurement and intelligence platform that enables companies to purchase high-quality carbon offsets. During each episode, we speak with an entrepreneur from a different part of the carbon ecosystem and talk about their journey so far and how they are acting on climate change. In this episode, we're speaking with Simon Baker, CEO of Kinemer Eco Solutions, part of Kinemer Foods International. Kinemer Eco Solutions, also known as Kenico, is a nature-based solutions company in the Philippines, integrating sustainable forest management, viable rural livelihoods, and capacity development for rural communities. Hi, Simon, and thank you so much for joining joining our podcast today. It's really great to have you. Um, as a very first question for you, it's just I'd love to hear about your journey and how did you get to work into into the climate space? Yeah, hi Pauline, thank you for having me. Um, uh, for 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 us or for for myself, it's it really kind of evolved. We I, I started our business very much more as a smallholder inclusive sourcing venture, uh, working in the cacao space, in the cocoa space in the Philippines, and. As you work on the, those environments, not a, we call it the first mile sometimes, right? Where you work really with on the ground and trying to get support into those systems where people can uh, you know, improve their farms, improve livelihood. Um, you know, I've kind of, uh, it's, it's a, I, I call it always like a problem solving journey. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, you, as you solve, you, you have to solve various problems. There's a reason why there's poverty in those r- remote rural areas. And, and that's because certain things don't work. And, and I, for years, had been looking at kind of payment for ecosystem services or the, you know, as the, the whole climate as a, as a way to bring more support to those communities. So that, that really is what, what drove it. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I'd love to understand more about what you do, what Canemo Group does. Um, you know, I heard, you know, you had you worked on the first project that validated and issued credits in the Philippines. Can you tell us a bit more about how the group works and what you're doing in the in the carbon space? Sure, sure. Maybe, I mean, just also kind of as a follow-on of your earlier question, I mean, to explain a little bit the journey we, we, had, we made as a, as a company. So, so we started very much like that, almost like a trading organization. So the Philippines cacao is 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 a unfermented it's, it's, it's originally was a lower end product and we 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 centralized post-harvest fermentation um, and as we try to grow volumes we we realized that you know we need to have some sort of a planting program so we started planting cacao trees in in some sort of a contract growing arrangement then uh, we we didn't have financing for farmers we realized they didn't have funding to plant more trees so we, we actually ended up setting up a finance company, Agronomica, um, and, and together with training and support systems. And so as we did that, we realized that, well, one of the things you realize also, many of the, especially upland farmers, they're really not ready for credit. Um, and uh, and you, you actually want to support them. Now, sometimes the governments work out, so we had for a while a good government program. But of course, as governments change, these programs change too. So that's that's why we looked at at um, kind of climate and and um, kind of trying to see. Actually, what I was really hoping is that these carb these cacao trees that we were planting, we planted over 20 million cacao trees over like an eight-year period. Um, 
I was really hoping that the, the kind of the sequestration that they, uh, you know, kind of generated would help pay for more trees and would kind of create more of a self-sustainable system. Uh, and and that's how we how we got started. We realized as we did that, of course, that cacao alone and an agroforestry system, right? Um, you know, in, especially in Southeast Asia, many of the smallholder farmers have a lot of other trees in their farms. And so we were not planting a lot of shade trees, just a little bit. And so a system like that doesn't generate, if the, if the additionality is just the cacao, it's very low on sequestration. And so that, that was really the beginning for us on the, you know, uh, the kind of the, the, the trying to bring kind of support funding into these smaller systems, right? Um, uh, first with cacao, then realizing you need shade trees. Um, a number of parties came to us and came up with beautiful systems of uh, 600 cacao trees per hectare and 50 forest trees, or, you know, a kind of a bit of static models that we felt didn't really work in reality, because if, if a, you know, and most farmers have less than a hectare or maybe 1.2 hectares on average, I think, uh, in, you know, in the Philippines, probably quite similar in Indonesia and Vietnam. And um, I mean, honestly, the, there's really a permanence issue, right? Those 50 forest trees, it's on your one hectare, if you have to feed your whole family, you're going to resist that. So we, we, we found that we tried to do that, that, that it was hard to come up with, you know, on paper it's nice, but in real life, actually, where do you plant them and the parameters? And, and so, um, and, and often the farmers would just cut them also. So, so uh, that, you know, that's why we, we ended up having to work kind of on a larger landscape to say, okay, let's not look at it on a, on a single farm, but you need to look at it as kind of a community, as a group. You know? and, and so that's kind of how, how the program uh, evolves. It's really trying to kind of uh, bring to the poorest communities a more sustainable livelihood that does not involve cutting up trees. Thank you, Simon. And I'm sure people listening are curious about the carbon project element of this. Could you tell us a bit more about the projects, you know, the one that I've just mentioned that's already issuing credits, but also what's in the pipeline? That'd be great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as we, the, the, the first project is our, is our AR, forestation and reforestation program. Uh, it's a Mindanao trees, you know, Min trees, we call it in short. Um, and we uh, we kind of started with the whole um, validation process in preparation for the PDD, really, right? In during COVID, and so that was a, that was kind of a little challenge. Um, that was been nice. We had all these, <laughs> yeah, we had all those farmers mapped, and but but still, the, some additional uh, or you know documents had to be signed, and so it was a, a little challenging to get because at the time it's really 2020. It was uh, quite a bit of restrictions of traveling, um, so we were able to to get that uh, get through that validation. Um, it really, I mean, it's really almost just to show that the model worked. I mean, I think for us, uh, so what you know, just in short, where we are right now, we have an ARR program that we got validated and verified over the last kind of two years. Um, as I mentioned earlier, right, is that because we realized that the cacao trees alone are, are not that, you know, don't sequester that much. We really started in our kind of next instances of mint trees, 
looking at more forestry planting. So now we've kind of moved a little bit to a kind of a larger landscape. Um, we work in Mindanao, uh, southern island of the Philippines. It's a large island. Um, and if you want to work in these larger areas, many of our farmers are on what we call ancestral land. Um, and ancestral land in the, in the Philippines is a, it's a, it's a communal title. And so the carbon rights are really with the community. Um, and they, um, these communities have received these titles in the last 15, 20 years from the government. And they're big, no? I mean, 20, 30, 40,000 hectare titles. Specifically with the, how do you call this? With the commitment, it's kind of a, you know, they receive the title and the right of the land with the, with the assumed commitment that they would protect the natural resource, um, protect the biodiversity, and in return, the community gets to be the steward of the land, you know, which is in a way kind of uh, awarding them the land that they have been living there since time immemorial. Um, and so as we work with communities there, we realize that, that so agroforestry alone is not enough. You need to work on a larger landscape. And then these communities actually have a commitment already to protect and, and to conserve. And, and, but, you know, they're, they're underfunded. So there's hardly any government funding going to those communities to, to help them. And so the only livelihood you really see is, is, is more extractive. No, it's either uh, small scale mining, it's, uh, it's uh, wood, you know, wood products. And so, so it actually led kind of a, to a, you know, to a, from a journey from where we started really more as a problem solving on livelihood of cacao to really realizing it, it, it is a reforestation element to this. Um, and, but there was all conservation element. So that's why we're now also with, uh, working on a conservation program. Simon, can I just uh, follow up and ask you, um, what was that engagement like with these communities in this in, on this ancestral land? What was it like? Was it you know, carbon markets and carbon credits and all of this completely new to them? And can you walk us through maybe you know what that engagement looked like for, for you? Mm. Yeah, that, yeah, no, that was totally new to them. And, and still is, you know, I, I think it helped, you know, we are, of course, known as a company that we work on these small livelihood programs. Besides cacao, we work in, in other crops, also banana, a bit of corn, really kind of uh, with support programs. So the language of kind of understanding that kind of protect nature in return, kind of receive support, which leads to planting of additional crops is something that, that the communities understand. And, and the, I, I guess we had a some residual level of trust from uh, from having done those activities for the last 10 years and so that really started to uh, you know us on a joint journey you know with with uh, understanding what it means and, and and it's really in a way that's the free and prior informed consent process right so it, it, it this fpic process is a real process where you as we go through it we also together as as partners kind of uh, understand better and so that took about a year you know, a year year and a half um, it, it, I mean it was easier with our Mintree's ARR program um, because these are purely smaller farmers so every participating farmer so these are kind of communities and clusters of farmers that we work with anyway because we buy their cacao uh, but as we started working on the conservation 
you you get into the leadership of the indigenous people and so that that process takes time no? we, so we our first project we're now going through validation for yeah validation for our min four the forestry project um is with 11 uh, indigenous tribes um it's, uh, I think it's 90 plus villages, so you, know, you can imagine the kind of getting everybody comfortable with the concept of carbon and, 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 and all of this. It, 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 uh, it's taken a little time. I'm sure. I'm sure. And how was it received? Um, you know, was there was there anything that you didn't expect? Was it harder, easier than you expected? I'd love to hear more I if you don't in mind. The, in the beginning, uh, there was some. Uh, well, well. When we came in, there had been some attempts before to do a, a Red Plus project, but they had not um, had not proceeded. Uh, you know, it didn't push through, and and so there was a bit of skepticism in the beginning. Um, so, but but I think it's kind of really you know it's with all things you now. It's meeting, it's communicating, it is uh, boots on the ground and 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 repeat. Um, and, and so over time, kind of people started to understand the concepts. And then you start to think through, okay, how, what can we do to, you know, yes, what wood-based industries do we have? And who, how can we stop that? And what can we do in return? And, and, um, and what's actually interesting is that most leadership on the, the tribal communities we work with, they're, they're very aware of their obligation to maintain their natural assets. Actually, these communities live really with those, you know, in that environment. So I think it, it is not that difficult because unlike maybe kind of migrants who really don't have that connection, the original inhabitants, they do. And it's within that culture also very conscious that they have that relationship with the, 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 the environment and the natural assets. And, and having the opportunity to get additional funding to support and protect that is something that people really embrace. Thank you so much, Simon. I, I wanted to take a step back and ask you, you've mentioned uh, a couple of times, you know, the landscape approach in what you do. And I know internally, you know, we have someone who's a big fan of the project, loves the landscape approach. But I think it would be great if you can maybe explain a little bit what that means and why you think it's so important that it's done this way and maybe not another way. Yeah. Well, I guess as I was, you know, earlier also talking about the fact that it, gradually, you know, our, our, our scope, we started with a one hectare farmer and planting cacao trees. And as we try to get that system more sustainable, our, our lens kind of broadened, you know, because we realized we can't plant the shade trees, how we start working with communities and conservation. And then, of course, once you look at the drivers of deforestation, you start looking also at kind of it, it is policy, it is, you know, uh, to what degree have all the, the local governments adopted kind of the national policies and are implementing those. Um, and, and so the, as you kind of zoom out, your, the stakeholders involved that you need to engage with also increases. And, and so for us to do, and this is a bit what I mentioned at the beginning is this kind of working at, at, at small the level you are in the problem solving business. And, and, and so one of the things was is this, that you realize you need to work with all the actors in a landscape you know, because it is often a systemic issue. 
right? Um, and so, so for us, it has meant much more coalition building skills. You no, know? uh, we we had to really beef up. You know, we went from a journey where in the beginning our people were mostly technical trainers. You know, how to prune a tree, how to you know how to improve the soil. To now also much more kind of community engagement and working with the local government, the provincial government, the Department of Environment, uh, you know, the church, the local, you know, the state universities. So, so it, it really um, made it a much broader coalition of actors. I think we get a lot more buy-in also. It's also a bit more complex, of course, to, to execute. <laughs> as you can I'm sure. <laughs> so that, I mean, that to me is landscape, no? It's that, that kind of wider lens. And um, yeah, and getting a lot more people on board. It's no longer your own little project. No, it, it, is, it belongs to everyone. It would be great to hear a little bit going back to to the project. You know, being the first uh, project to, to to go through the process in the Philippines and as an organization, what was that validation issuance? Um, journey for journey. you can you tell us yeah. a bit more journey <laughs> sure yeah 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 it was a journey indeed no um it it you know once we i mean the first thing the first thing was really getting the right team in place you know it, it's hard for an organization we were new to this and so we 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 got some good kind of uh partners uh consultants also uh, just partners in the, in the whole process and uh, who had done other projects before um, and um, it was for us a bit of a challenge in the beginning because at the time it, we were full on COVID restrictions, and you know what what happened is that we 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 kind of prepared. We thought we prepared well, but as you get ready, prepare for the validation, you realize you forgot a document or you forgot something, and you know then it's a thousand plus people you need to go and 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 you know so we had armies of our guys going around and, and getting stuff updated in preparation for this for this validation um also getting the biomass team you know it's a, i'm just kind of recollecting now getting the biomass team properly trained um because you have many sites to check and 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 how one team measures not you know kind of calibrating that also just just the whole logistics around it was quite a challenge we see that now we're going back to some sites we actually find a lot more uh, uh, kind of uh, biomass than than uh, before, so it, it, it's also interesting. Um, so so that was a bit of a journey. The the actual the actual validation was okay. Um, some you know minor findings and just uh, learning, you know, as an organization, really how to do it. And so I think kind of for our next instances uh, in MIM4, you know, MIM4 two, three, what we're working on right now. It will be much smoother. No? You should, you've gone through the pain of getting it done. Um, what was, uh, of course, tough was you know, the delays after the verification and after the valid after the validation after the verification of uh, of Vera, right? So it, it took a long time for them to get back. They they were and are a bit overwhelmed uh, with the volume of of, of work, um, and that meant basically months and months of radio silence. Um, and, and so that 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 is a tough part of the journey. Um, you know, I, I think personally, you cannot uh, be a carbon program on, uh, only. You know, you, you really need another source of revenue to mitigate that risk. 
there's no way we could have done this on a financial standalone basis. In fact, you know, I mean, it's, and so I think we're, we're on the journey, but I think we're not yet where I wanted to be, right? I think the, the purpose of the journey was and is, is to get meaningful support to communities to help them build sustainable agroforestry system and livelihood systems, you know, in a larger landscape. And, in, and, and ultimately, you want that contribution that comes from those carbon credits to those communities to be significant such that it, it really, you know, they can plant additional trees, they can do this work. And right now it's just kind of helping a bit and, and we're, we're, you know, we're finding other sources of funding and other areas. So, so I think it is a fantastic system and we need to continue to work on it. So, so I, I want to say we, we're there, you know, in a way that we're verified and we are, but that's in a way the beginning, not the end uh, of the journey. <laughs> so. And can I ask about what those additional sources of revenues are, you know, now in the past, but also in the future? How are you thinking about this? Yeah. You know, do you see yourself so, relying on carbon markets or not so much? Um, and so what uh, we, you know, we've been kind of, um, so what do we have, of course, since we do livelihood programs, we buy the commodity that's grown by the farmers. And we use the, the margins that we earn on those farmers, those trading of those products, sorry, to kind of plow that back into the system, right? So that's one. Two, um, more and more, of course, buyers of the commodities recognize those things. So we also uh, are able to negotiate premiums for kind of the traceability, sustainability. So you get kind of a, kind of premium pricing, and those premiums are really for the very purpose of kind of plowing them back into the system. So training, better pricing at farm level, uh, you know, plant material, etc. So it's really the combination of, you know, our own contribution, the premiums, uh, you know, historically we've had some government programs here and there to help out also, uh, but, you know, right now not too many uh, are there um, at farm level. Um, as we move forward, the way that I'm looking is over time, I'm really kind of counting on, the, the the carbon markets to, to to contribute an ever larger part of that because as the volume um kind of also the volume of of uh, yeah the, the number of farmers you work with i mean the, the premiums are good from the buyers but you know that is also of course you don't know how long that will last as well so i really think that um, the carbon markets can play an enormously important role in building sustainable kind of uh, livelihood systems in these, you know, really ec vulnerable ecosystems, right? And so, if you don't do that, then then that really has uh, poses a risk of additional deforestation. So, uh, you know, that kind of leads me to yeah, reforestation and, and conservation is kind of intertwined. No, livelihood, reforestation, and conservation are all parts of the kind of a similar system. So the moment you don't have livelihood, um, you know, you, 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 anyway, I mean, we, everybody knows, everybody knows that, but so, so for us, yeah, the carbon markets are, are going to be, um, important and, and, and this is the start of that journey. Okay. Well, you mentioned government support and as I mentioned earlier, you know, I focus on policy and I'd love to hear more about, uh, there's two things. There's the first question about what has your, I'm not going to use the word journey again, but what's your engagement with governments been around mm. um, what you've been doing, you know, previous to carbon markets? And then the second part of my question, which I can ask later again, is, uh, you know, what is the policy landscape like for, for carbon projects? So 
if you can mention first, you know, how you've been working with government in general, that that would be great. We we um, we, we we work with government um, at both local and national level. Um, in general, I think you know we're we're all kind of aligned on you know, what we want to accomplish. Um, government also would like to do more, and sometimes they want to get more budget or try to do more things, um, and, and they cannot always do that. So, so I think I, I find working with government, both at local, provincial, and at national level, is constructive. It, it works. Um, it's just hard, no? It's hard to operationalize to get extra support to your farmers. And so we've had periods where, for example, there was planting material distribution, free planting material, but without inputs, without training, without and you know too much volume too quickly. So we try to modulate that. Say, well, we need it needs to be more holistic, otherwise you don't these trees are not going to survive. True enough, of course, very high mortality in those programs. And so I think you know it's 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 good to work with government on this type of on the ground programs, but it's it's. It's not always easy to make it a success, um, but you know we, we we are very open to continue to do that. Um, at the at the carbon market side, we have been engaging um, with kind of you know in the Climate Change Commission in the Philippines uh, and the Department of Environment and Natural Resources, and I would say in general, the Philippines is a private sector friendly environment because I think the government recognizes the positive contribution the private sector can make you no know, just help in in this joint journey of uh, natural kind of resource protection and and uh, poverty alleviation um, I think the government is still not there where it wants to be um, um, in terms of having, you know, there is a there's a national registry for red plus that's that's being developed. Um, the idea over time would be to have kind of uh, a national standard a registry with with equivalence to you know to to Avera. Um, we are not there yet. Um, I think even getting the registry now up and running, we that, that should happen soon. But um, it's more kind of just coordinating all the activities in the country so that we we, we all know what we're doing um, it's, but it's not a properly nested strategy um, also the Philippines hasn't really I mean right now the forests are not part of uh, the NEC you know the the how the Philippines is going to you know meet its Paris Accord uh, commitments and so that in a way also gives us some flexibility. Uh, that's in a way good also, but but that might change, uh, of course, in the future as 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 the as this gets more organized and uh, they need to really figure out how it will, how the government, how the Philippines, the nation is going to meet its NDCs. Yeah, and and just so in the meantime, you know, as these processes get developed, this registry that you've mentioned, uh, these different rules, how how are you working with? you know, different levels of, of government to make sure that, you know, you don't find yourself in let's say, a Zimbabwe situation or an Indonesia situation and, and effectively how friendly or how supportive is, is the Philippine governments to, to the project and to the work that you're doing? Yeah, yeah I, think, uh, I think friendly is the right word. You know, I think in general what the key is, uh, going back to our, an earlier point, is, is communication. No? It's, it's be sure that everybody knows what you're doing. 
and and uh, you know it's kind of um, it, it's kind of working with leadership in the government to be sure that 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 what you're doing and how you're sharing and how you work with communities is understood and 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 people understand the kind of positive side of that you know, that it's good for the nation good for the communities and and that is in a way you know also our best protection you know what i mean as long as we ensure that we we are embraced by the communities and they they really want this that that also becomes a in a way of protection so we that, that we need to continue to do so and so yeah what we do is we do ongoing continuous engagement uh to be sure that we understand what's coming new uh new legislation new initiatives uh you know we we, we engage and we, we we talk and i think yeah. you know i i really don't think we we all have a zimbabwe step situation coming you know i think uh, you know i think the philippines in general is a kind of uh collaborative environment uh, where people would rather find solutions and it's not a, you know, I don't think we're going to have crazy situations like that. <laughs> so I think it's a good place for, for climate programs. Amazing. And yeah, we're hearing this, this theme that you mentioned about uh, engagement with communities and how strong that is when you are approaching governments and talking to governments and uh, we see this as a, a a really positive thing and something that we pay a lot of attention to is how engaged the communities are because we see there's a really strong correlation between the friendliness that you've just mentioned um, of governments towards projects when when that's um, quite strong. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask you what is next uh, for Kinema Eco? Are you you know massively developing in the Philippines? Are you looking at other regions? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, for us, uh, we but two things. One is is uh, I, I think we can scale up a little bit. No, there's you know there is already a bit of uh, other communities like uh, what about us? No, so we we would like to expand a little bit in the same model. And so the same model, what I mean then is is basically the combination of the AR program as well as our uh, conservation program. You know? uh, Combined, so we will do that in Mindanao. We're also looking at some other areas in the Philippines, the northern northern part of the Philippines and Luzon. Um, we would like to. We're, we're we're in preparation, you know, kind of some complementary. Um, we, we were in early stage of some mangrove initiatives. To the Philippines, of course, has massive coastline uh, mangroves. We have around. 300,000 hectares worth of mangroves collectively, but it's spread out uh, over a large, large area. So individually, there are small patches. Tough. And so we'd love to work also there with, in, you know, existing NGOs and parties that have deep experience, and we can we can kind of help them um, with that. So that helps us a bit, kind of create a nice portfolio of different carbon assets, um, and and we can support existing initiatives there and, and strengthen those. Um, so I think we're gonna, you know, we're, we have mangroves in the pipeline, additional hectares of uh, within um, the Mindanao and Luzon. Um, we'd like to do also a cook stove uh, project, early stage of this, but we are we are really working on kind of technologies and adoption. You know, this really, my worry is 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 to come up with something that doesn't work, but that you know. Uh, Charcoal production is, is a huge issue uh, for deforestation. So having an element there where we can uh, also 
reduce that, uh, especially closer to the urban areas. Uh, I mean, it, it, there's really a kind of uh, open wood fire and, and using either charcoal or even just wood to, to cook is uh, is really quite common in rural areas. Um, we are we are and then and then uh, that's within the Philippines. We are also looking at. We'd love to go to to Indonesia, so we're we're actually in in preparation there. I think. You know, if you look at Southeast Asia, for, of course, Indonesia is seven times the size of the Philippines. It's really the, it's a bit more complicated there, of course, obviously from a policy and legislative environment. Um, but also, it, there's a lot of opportunities there. You know, uh, both uh, on that kind of cross point of kind of biodiversity protection, conservation, reforestation, and sustainable life. You know, kind of working with communities. And, uh, and we're excited. We are, we are working with our clients, uh, you know, some of the, the commodity companies that we work with that buy our products, uh, want us to join there as well. And so we are, we're exploring um, what the best model is. So that, that should come in the coming 12 months. That's very exciting. That's great. Um, I wanted to ask about, you know, when you're considering other regions, uh, countries, what is it that you most pay attention to? Uh, when making that decision, is it the opportunity? It's the risks. Um, what is that you're most focused on? Uh, I, I think, I think for us, so because we are, our DNA really is communities and smallholder farmers, and so I think you know there's many people that, that develop carbon projects, and so you know just kind of doing. Uh, there needs to be an angle that I feel that we can make a bit of a difference, and that our experience counts. And, and I think the moment we can do something with the crops that we know uh, in systems where we can bring funding to improve livelihood and that then therefore also helps in the whole conservation and, and, and restoration story, that's stuff we're interested in. So that to me is the, you know, and, and of course, then, then you look at, you know, your, your kind of the legislative environment and how friendly is it. But for me, the first and foremost is, is does it make sense for the, like a, the Kenema model, does it work there? And can we add some value there? And and I, I feel also, again, going back, it's it's a multi, multi revenue stream or a multi, it cannot rely on, on carbon alone. So it's, it's carbon and commodities. And so it could be that at some stage, the carbon is ahead and the commodities come later. It could be that temporarily, you know, which you see right now, of course, in Indonesia, where the commodity side is maybe a bit more important, but we see nature-based solutions coming back uh, strongly there. So could kind of even out again. So I think it's really that portfolio of, of both commodities and, uh, and and carbon together that we look at. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, I have my interview question now, which is, and again, I've said this in another episode, but I would I hate when I get asked that question, but I'm still going to ask it. Where do you see Kinemo Eco in five years? Ah. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, for me, can Echo in five years is is the vision that, that, that I just described. Being, you know, I'd love to be in, in the Philippines and we protect and reforest, you know, covering a million hectares and, um, you know, do the same thing in Indonesia with some large concessions. Uh, and and we, we have, you know, Kind of basically it's kind of the vision is we see those communities thrive there are the, the, the model i see is it's it's core plantations extensive uh, smallholder 
kind of uh, support systems and and you know uh, active reforestation and conservation programs or you know it's kind of having several of these la large landscapes for me if we have two three large landscapes in the philippines and one or two landscapes in indonesia you know I, i'll be very happy that that is how you know this is not a, we're not a tech company where you can uh, you know you know this is a lot of work <laughs> so five years uh, you know that that is something uh, we uh, can envision and can strive for to achieve that amazing very last question uh if i was uh, a buyer of carbon yeah. credits why would i buy your credits what's your what's your you know quick pitch of why why mm. the amazing kenamariko credits uh, well i think i think it's i think you can see when you work with us you know exactly where that money goes to and how it helps the communities and the in the diversity and so i think there's a, it's a very transparent environment we're in this business sir we've been doing this you know kind of programs for the last 13 years so i think you you're working with an experienced player that that is is we're in this for the long haul um because thriving communities means that we also have produce to buy and so it's the whole system and i think being part of that as a buyer of your of our carbon credits i think uh you know is is, is i hope that people like that no <laughs> but that's that's what i uh, that, you know i think you know i think being we see it also with our on the commodity side right uh, they're partners no so our our clients our partners and they come and visit us and and they they go and visit our farms our areas and so i think being part of kind of this Kenemer family of clients and you know, including carbon and the commodities, um, I think is is something we can offer to to buyers. Thank you so much, Simon, for for your time and the fantastic conversation. And I really look forward to to continuing discussion with you and and keeping track of, of what you all the great work you're doing. Thank you, thank you, Pauline. <laughs>